Hi, my name is Jordan Wyatt. I'm a young vegan from Invercargill, New Zealand, and you're listening to my show, Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, well. Let's get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to a fine episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I may have recently dissed Liberia, but one country I'll never mock is Latvia. I have a listener from Riga, Latvia, who often visits my blog. So, uh, hi! I hope I pronounced your city's name correctly. You can see on the right side of my website where visitors are from. I think it's a great widget. It shows you that people from all around the world are interested in veganism. You'll notice a lot from Invercargill, New Zealand. It's not like I'm desperately checking my own blog to see who else is visiting. It's, um, uh, that I have a lot of visitors here in my rural city of dairy farmers. <laughs> yeah. I've recently finished all the Arthur C. Clarke Space Odyssey books, 2001, 2010, 2061, and 3001, The Final Odyssey. The last book is mention of food. Frank Paul, the astronaut who was presumably killed by HAL 9000 in the first movie, who drifted through space, dead, was magically brought back to life a thousand years later. Future society is weird, but somehow he quickly gets over missing any friends or family from his past, which I thought was not very nice. The food of 3001 is mentioned. The meals that emerged from the auto chef were always perfectly acceptable, having been designed to match his physiological requirements. But they were certainly nothing to get excited about, and would have been the despair of a 21st century gourmet. Then, one day, an unusually tasty dish appeared, which brought back vivid memories of the deer hunts and barbecues of his youth. However, there was something unfamiliar about both flavor and texture, so Poole asked the obvious question. Anison merely smiled, but for a few seconds Indra looked as if she was about to be sick. Then she recovered and said, You tell him, after we've finished eating. Now what have I done wrong? Poole asked himself. Half an hour later, with Indra rather pointedly absorbed in a video display at the other end of the room, his knowledge of the third millennium made another major advance. Corpse food was on the way out even in your time, Anderson explained. Raising animals too, uh, eat them, became economically impossible. I don't know how many acres of land it took to feed one cow, but at least ten humans could survive on the plants it produced, and probably a hundred with hydroponic techniques. But what finished the whole horrible business was not economics, but disease. It started first with cattle, then spread to other food animals, a kind of virus, I believe that affected the brain and caused a particularly nasty death. Although a cure was eventually found, it was too late to turn back the clock. And anyway, synthetic foods were now far cheaper, and you could get them in any flavor you liked. Sadly, Frank thinks to himself about how much he misses real food. I certainly don't miss any non-vegan product. Oh, and I had a sudden thought explosion. I've had difficulty telling people why I won't wear woolen clothing. There are many sheep in New Zealand, and wool is common. Got your winter willies on, Margaret? Oh yes, yes, is what elderly white people say when winter strikes. I remember my auntie having sheepskins, the entire torso skin of a sheep preserved and put on her mattresses for warmth. It's as if they cut the animal's head and limbs off and keep the rest as a rug. I'm very glad times have changed. I had a bolt of inspiration. At least in New Zealand, we use the term fleeced as in, damn, I got fleeced by that jerk. Fleeced meaning something you had was stolen, according to an online definition. Hmm, fleeced when you cut the wool from a sheep, and we use it when someone stole from you. This usage can join, don't try and pull the wool over my eyes. We use so many awful figures of speech in regards to animals. A recent newspaper had a high-end fashion retailer mentioning it's killing two birds with one stone. 
Well, I may not live in the most civil of societies. We only just got the iPad today, you know. But surely, even for Invercargill, our fashion retailers are not out there killing birds with rocks. I mean, surely. So why would we be boastful of killing two animals with a single stone? Does that make you more attractive as a person? Hardly. Many of the welfare groups attack wool because of crutching, when parts of the sheep's backside are cut off for fear of fly strike. I don't believe that's common if performed at all in New Zealand. Our temperatures are so much, um, I'm trying to avoid saying we're colder, we have a more normal temperature instead of those soaring deserts next door. But wool is really no different from any animal product. In my area, there are sheep shearing contests where a couple men in t-shirts called wife beaters see how many animals they can shear. The frightened sheep are picked up and thrown upside down against the floor, shorn quickly, and then shoved away for the process to begin with another sheep. If a hairdresser for any other animal threw a non-sheep upside down against the floor, they would end up in jail. It's plain wrong to treat so-called farm animals any worse than, say, cats or dogs. Especially when chickens are superior in every possible way. Wool is a terrible product. I found an interview with Paul McCartney that was interesting. Quote, He felt that one day a week was doable. If you ask people to go completely vegetarian, it may be too challenging. This wasn't asking so much. What would he say to those who argue that one day a week isn't enough? I think any move in the right direction is enough. If you want my real point of view, then yeah, I would encourage people to go vegetarian, but that's not what this campaign is about, and it's not what the UN campaign was about. McCartney says he has a lot of friends who eat meat and likens it to religion. I wouldn't want someone to be bossing me, saying, you should be a Buddhist. I'd say, lay off, I'll make up my own mind, thank you. I don't want to go laying it on people. You really should be vegetarian. I like them to come to it themselves. End quote. I came across his interview on a welfare-promoting vegan message board. Paul McCartney is not vegan, he is vegetarian, whatever that means. I came across veganism by myself, and it took an awful lot longer than if someone had been there promoting veganism to me. Paul, when you yourself decide to have your rights signed away, to be artificially inseminated, to be milked, to be kept in a cage for your eggs, and to be killed at a young age, not... When I'm 64... Then non-veganism is your personal choice. It's not difficult to be vegan, Paul. It's not for a... It's... Eight days a week. Try veganism for yourself. You'll see it's easy. I'm sure you'll soon be singing... And I feel fine. I'll also mention this quote from the interview. There was one moment on holiday when the kids were quite young, and they said, Can we have a chicken dinner? And we said, you can, but you know it's those things we have at home, the little chickens you love so much. And they said, we still want to try it. I said, yeah, okay. So they did, and they didn't like it. I don't mean to be so pedantic, but I try and avoid ever mentioning anything to do with animals being it or things. It's those things we have at home, the little chickens you love so much. I too love chickens, as you know. I call them my chicken friends. They are chickens. They are my friends. My chicken friends. I try and avoid ever using words for them like pet or companion animal. I'd also prefer not to see them as refugees. I figure my little friends have as much right to live in my backyard as I do. I sometimes sleep outside, you know. They are not illegal immigrants hiding from immigration. They belong here as much as I do. They are my friends. I'd like to share a quick story. Mr. Rooster sometimes gets aggressively territorial. He'll bite my shoes and sometimes even jump and try to kickbox me. Roosters have very large spurs, like a sharp fang on each foot. My usual approach is to raise my shoe up, off the ground, to look larger than him, hopefully to remind him how much bigger I am, and also get my foot out of his way. With chickens, they have a pecking order, and they raise their heads to aggressors to match their stance, or they duck their head to give in and take a couple quick pecks to the head. Raising their head shows the attacker they are not afraid. For whatever reason, he was still wanting to peck at my shoe when one of the now fully grown chicks came over to stop him. This nice little hen put her wings out as if she was hugging two other chickens, each wing was out, to look as big as possible, and she made an odd noise. Clearly, she was sticking up for me. Very odd, given that I'm nearly two metres tall, remember, and probably the weight of at least 50 chickens. 
and yet she definitely came over looking as large as she could, and he stopped attacking me. Now, perhaps some might argue she just didn't like seeing another chicken getting in a frenzy, and only wanted him to stop jumping, pecking, and kicking. Well, there's no doubt in my mind she was trying to defend me as best she could. They might not being held or patted, but I think it's quite clear they like spending time with me. All the chickens will follow me around the garden, and often when I sit down, the chicks especially will sit close by. The black chick, as I still call her, will most often stick by my side. She will flutter up onto a bench with me and watch my expression. If I reach to pat her, she might put up with it, but most likely she slowly shuffles away. She likes being around me, but not being patted. I think it's clear to say chickens may have small brains, but they care for each other, and they apparently now care for me too. Despite the work of Paul McCartney and It's a Personal Choice, luckily New Zealand is maintaining her utter domination per capita of vegan podcasters. Emmy James was recently featured on the world-renowned QuotesOnSlavery.com. I just find it disgusting. It's horrible, and this is what's happening to thousands of animals every day. They're being exploited for their flesh and secretions and skin. And for what? Human greed, human pleasure, to satisfy our taste buds, to be more fashionable. Eating and wearing death. It doesn't matter whether it's a cow, lion, dolphin, or dog being killed for their meat and other products that come from their dead bodies. These are all sentient beings that deserve the right to life. People need to realise that because there is no moral difference. These creatures want to breathe fresh air, play with each other, make friends, and just live life. A young vegan out there spreading a true vegan message. Meanwhile, our large welfare group is squabbling over the definition of welfare. Apparently, SAFE is angry with the pork board about their new label to put on dead pigs. Welfare approved, when there's been no change to how the animals are treated. There was going to be another close-up story in Tool, reading from a SAFE PR release. SAFE special campaign alert, close-up story cancelled. Pig farmer too gutless to front. Felt like you missed pigs on the close-up tonight? You didn't. The story was cancelled at the last minute after the owner of the pig farm, Colin Kay, refused to appear after he watched the footage of suffering pigs on his farm. Safe campaign director Hans Creek says, This is the same farm exposed by Mike King 15 months ago. The new footage reveals that conditions are even worse now. Nothing has changed, and the pigs continue to suffer. This weekend, SAFE will release the shocking footage that Colin Kay was too ashamed to defend. Click here for more information about SAFE's Love Pigs campaign. Make a donation towards SAFE's campaign to help pigs. Oh wait, breaking news, the story went ahead after all. Well here we go again, a shocking new footage has emerged of pigs at the same Levin farm exposed by TVNZ Sunday program more than a year ago. The animal welfare group Open Rescue went undercover at Colin Kay's farm on the weekend and again filmed distressed and unhealthy animals. Now Colin Kay has been investigated by math before and this new footage has sparked a fresh investigation. So why has nothing changed? In a moment we will talk with Hans Creek from SAFE and Sam McIver from the Pork Industry Board. Uh, but first this report from Corinne Ambler and a bit of a warning as always, some of the images in her story are disturbing. This pig's ear can only be described as a mess. Badly infected, raw and weeping, there's nothing the pig can do but shake its head to try and alleviate the discomfort. There's blood all over her ear, all over her body, all over the bars that are confining her and all over the sow next to her. I just don't know what it is going to take to change this industry. It's just one of the many injuries activists from the group Open Rescue found in pigs at Colin Kay's Levin farm when they filmed there on Sunday. They say they gained access to one of the many sheds through an unlocked door, finding pigs with infected feet, abscesses and gangrenous rotten flesh. One pig had a prolapsed rectum, another didn't seem to be able to get up. There is no excuse to keep animals confined and suffering in disgusting conditions like this. It was only 15 months ago that the same group took former pork ambassador Mike King into the same farm, into the very same shed. The footage of dying and distressed pigs shocked King and caused a public outcry. It was 
absolutely harrowing. They were chewing the bars. These pigs were chewing the bars. Froth was coming out of their mouth and and they were screaming. And, and they were... It was like they were screaming for you to help them. When I spoke to farmer Colin Kay just a couple of hours ago, he told me that all the pigs in the footage were being treated for their injuries before filming took place, some with antibiotics. He said the wounds were caused by fighting and that a vet had checked all his pigs today and cleared all 200. But the pig with the sore ear has been put down after not responding to treatment. However, a vet and pig specialist says injuries like those in the footage are not common at pig farms in New Zealand. Yes, I saw the uh, sow with the severely damaged ear, the um, sow with a, uh, an injured foot. Certainly very disappointing to see those types of injury. Uh, as I say, in 20 years of practice, uh, it would be unusual to see uh, uh, two animals like that. Colin Kay admits the footage doesn't look good, but says each of his pigs is checked over every day. He also declined an invitation to appear on our show. Yes, he did. Joining me now, though, is Hans Creek from uh, Safe and Sam McIver, the CEO of the Pork Industry Board in Wellington. Evening to you both again. Sam. Good evening. Why are we here? Uh, Mike, I think um, you, you've raised a, a fair issue, and uh, the industry's response uh, to this has been to put in place an audit across all pig farms in New Zealand. And the commitment of the industry is that uh, by September the 30th this year, uh, all pig farms will have been audited. Uh, the, the pig farm in question uh, hasn't been audited yet, and uh, therefore, in terms of its performance, I'm, I'm not able to, to comment on that. OK. Just have a listen to what you said on the programme last time you were here. Have a listen to this. What we're saying to consumers is, listen, we're putting an audit in place which will give you the confidence that we're looking after okay. our pigs. Let me give you the assurance, too, that we're looking at new options. Okay. We're, we're saying to New Zealanders, uh, go with us. We'll give, you, we'll give you the assurance that we're looking at new options. How many times do we have to come on the programme and say exactly the same thing for no result? And, and Mike, this farm is a classic example of what we're talking about. Well, why don't you do so, something about uh, it? Colin, Colin Kay has uh, been trying to get a consent to get a new pig farm. He's uh, spent uh, a six-figure sum on attempting to get a consent for a farm that would have uh, no sow stalls in it, would have uh, very modern equipment, and uh, improved welfare above this. Indeed, doesn't mean you have to drink. Enough, I understand all that. But it doesn't mean you have to drink opposed, the, treat the pigs badly in the meantime. Safe actually opposed uh, that consent. I understand that, but it doesn't mean you have to treat your pigs badly in the meantime, does it? Sorry, I'm losing you there, Mike. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to treat the pigs badly in the meantime, does uh, it? You're exactly right. And so that's why, why is he and why is he allowed to get <coughs> away with it? Why am I asking you the same questions over and over and over again? Mike, that's exactly why we've uh, put the audit in place and we're saying if, if the farmer doesn't meet the audit conditions, it's not acceptable. So come September, if he doesn't meet those audit conditions, he's gone from the industry? Well, that's, that's not a decision I could make, because what I'm saying is that the industry wholesalers have committed not to, to sell his pigs. Having said that, you've got one man. You go back to the same guy over and over again, film him. So maybe he's a bad farmer. I don't know. Maybe he, Let's say he's a bad farmer. You found one bad farmer in the whole pork industry. Well, we were on your show a little while ago with another farm, another four farms, actually, that showed similar uh, images. The problem is here, and what, what um, uh, Sam is saying is just a smokescreen. We're going to do a welfare audit. They're only doing that welfare audit for one reason. They want to bring out a label which is going to read 100% well for approved pork. Mm. And they want to give that label to every farmer that meets their very, very low standard audit that includes farmers that keep pigs in crates like that for a lot of time. Now, that actually means that they're going to put welfare approved on crated pork, whereas governments all around the world are banning it on grounds of cruelty. Even the New Zealand government wants to ban it on grounds of cruelty. So we and got, yet they're yeah, going I to call it welfare approved. I understand approved. that, but, but I mean, we almost have two different issues here. One is you say the overall standard is too low. Any, anyway, that Colin Kay's farm is a particularly bad example That's of right. a low standard as it stands in this country. The real tragedy with Colin Kay's farm is, you saw some of the injury, that's really bad, but the real tragedy is that those pigs have been in those crates since my king saw them 15 months ago. They haven't come out. They suffered for every single day. While you and I went, uh, okay. get on with our business, they suffered on What do you farm. say at Sam's point is he has been trying to go for a consent and you guys oppose him every step of the way. The guy spent a fortune trying to get a better farm and you don't want him to have a better farm. 
oh no, that's complete nonsense. We don't want them to have another factory farm. The fact is that this farmer has been doing this for a long time. He was actually first exposed in 2006 about the cruelty. Now they were saying it then that he was exiting the industry as they call it. He's not, he's just carrying on with the same cruelty. And actually it's got worse. The animals are suffering even more today than ever before. And it's absolutely appalling. And really, you know, what will it take? The government says, well, we may ban them and we may take another yeah. 10 years to do so. You know, consumers need to stop buying this stuff. That's what will stop Well, us. that's people's choice, I suppose. Sam, where are we at with the things like dry stalls and the new code? Is that, is that being fast-tracked or are you still threatening the government with legal action on that? Uh, we're, we're going through a process uh, with the government. So uh, the industry has submitted on a draft code uh, to the government. NAWAC, which is the independent body that advises the minister, is working through the process on that code. Yeah, but, the, but, the but are you still threatening legal action? Are you still, still trying to stall it? We, we haven't been trying to stall it. What we've done is, is we've asked for a robust process that considers all the information, and that is based on uh, sound scientific and best practice information. Mike, I have actually seen their submission. They are still threatening legal action. And then what they're also fighting for is to keep pigs in those crates for half their lives, 11 weeks out of a 22 pregnancy cycle. That's how long they want to keep those pigs in crates. That is what's happening behind the scenes. Their public faces, oh yes, we're cleaning up the industry. Behind the scenes, they are fighting to keep pigs in those crates. See, all right, so you see, you see Sam Collin looks at the footage. He was going to come on the program. He looks at the footage. He realises he's not a good farmer. He has to put a pig down today. He doesn't want to come on the program anymore because it looks all embarrassing. And you're fronting up yet again to defend an industry that seems indefensible. Why, why uh, would Mike, we go key, out and buy key... pork from you guys with the way you treat the animals? The key thing is that consumers do have choice. Uh, they have choice of whether they buy uh, a free-range product or a free-farm product or whether they do buy indoor-raised product. Would and you still recommend that I go out tomorrow and buy the, buy the sort of meat that would come from Colin Kay's farm? Should I go buy some of that meat? That's, that's a choice you have to make, Mike. Well, no, I'm asking and, you and as an expert in the industry. Do you reckon that's something I should go buy? Well, that's up to you. No, I'm asking you. Do you think it's something I should go buy? Uh, if, if the farm has, has passed the audit, then I'm happy for but you, you to, to buy But you haven't audited them. I asked product. you in April, you haven't audited them. Now it's August. Well, and that's, uh, that's the process he's got to go through, Mike. And, and don't forget that the crates that Colin Kay uses on that farm are not illegal. He could well pass an audit when the pork board orders that farm. And he could well have his pork well for approved by the New Zealand pork board. Do you think he will, it's Sam? bullshit. Do you think uh, he will? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not able to judge that. I'm not the expert on uh, pig welfare, but <laughs> oh, an independent vet uh, will audit it and uh, they'll make the decision on whether he passes or not. Would you be surprised to be passed? Uh, I'm, I don't know what the result will be, Mike. That says it all, I think, Sam. That says it all. All right. I appreciate your time very much, Hans Creek and uh, Sam McIver. Who knows, we may meet again on another Friday night. I corrected a spelling mistake on the initial page. Hans Creek was called Hand Creek, which sounded kind of interesting. I'll keep hand in mind if I ever name a child. Sam McIver from the Pork Board is quite right. What we purchase as consumers is up to us. We can choose how we want to live our own lives, the man in the mirror. And what choices are being offered? Well, the Pork Board seems to now be suggesting that there is a difference between free range and this indoor raised meat. Remember when they denied, denied, denied? Oh, well, we keep the property, I mean animals, in cages because it stops them from fighting and they live better lives and less illness and, and, and. And McIver seems to say it's up to the consumer's conscience if they pay an extra bid or not. Then we have SAFE, Save Animals from Exploitation, who consider being kept alive as property but to be less than exploitation. I don't know how I could feel that way, but that's their position. Here we have a large nationwide group out there demanding more of those welfare reforms. Meanwhile, Emmy found it easy to speak plainly and honestly about respecting animals and without thousands of donors supporting her. Thank you for what you do, Emmy. I and the many other people who listen are so pleased to have your new podcast. You can find Emmy's show at vegan-for-life.blogspot.com. I hope you'll subscribe in iTunes. Vegan for Life, vegan-for-life.blogspot.com I'd also like to mention veganism and religion, or lack thereof. I know some religious or spiritual vegans, and many atheist vegans. While I'm a staunch atheist, I do believe silly jabs at the religious or spiritual are, well, silly. 
I was offended when I noticed another non-believer had typed out a list of ways to convert a Christian man to veganism. A lot was said about how he was obviously stupid for being so religious and that he was a Christ corpse muncher. Well, I'm glad I spoke out asking for some degree of respect. As long as someone else's personal beliefs or theories don't harm me or society, I'm fine with them. Just as I think it's foolish to make fun of non-vegan people, I wouldn't call religious people stupid, especially when we are trying to show them how veganism is about non-violence and respecting others. I do have a little anecdote about my own atheism, though. I went to two Catholic schools, but I decided I was atheist many years ago. I had an idea how to test if there were a god or not. I planted a ten-cent coin under a layer of bark chips beneath a tree outside my neighborhood church. I'd found the coin earlier, and it seemed like a good idea to a little boy. Depending on your viewpoint, either God wanted me to have the coin, and it flew down from heaven to wait for me, and me alone, or the other approach is someone lost ten cents. Take your pick. If it was all well and good building an entire universe in a few days, then couldn't the big guy affirm a little boy's faith by performing a trivial divine miracle, making that ten-cent coin mutate into an eleven-cent coin? If heaven were having a recession, I would have been equally satisfied with a 10.1 cent coin too. Hell, as I planted the coin, I hoped that the nuns at the convent next door might be listening in. I would have been pleased had a nun swapped the 10 for a 20 cent coin. I'd have kept going back, to show my friends while loudly saying, So, my fellow believers, if this coin I'm leaving under this tree, this tree right here, point, point, refuses to increase in value, then we shall have seen how our God doesn't love us. Perhaps some other little brat had the same idea, because the convent is no more, perhaps bankrupted through tests of faith slash scamming the elderly nuns. Either that or said elderly nuns went to heaven and were not replaced. Here's a shocking fact. According to a recent news clip, New Zealand is the world's third most obese country. Right, let's move now to obesity and a striking fact that per capita we're estimated to be the third most obese people in the OECD. It's good to be third best at something, but not that, unfortunately. It will kill us young, it will make our old age miserable, and it will cost the health system money we really haven't got. So what's the government doing to address this very real problem? Well, experts on obesity health issues say nowhere near enough, frankly. They want us to follow measures being considered in Britain. Richard Langston on getting us to eat less, or eat better, or both. It's estimated that about a quarter of us, that's one in four, is obese. An OECD report says we're a heavyweight in the fat stats, the third most obese country. And that, according to anti-obesity campaigners, tells us who's winning the war against fat. No question, it's big food is winning, uh, mainly because nobody else is fighting them. At a time when there's never been more fast food, never more fatty and sugary food pushed on us, the government is accused of looking the other way. I, don't, I can't see any evidence that they're doing anything at the moment. The government is absolutely hands-off. At the beginning of their term in government, they decided they'd like to have more kids playing Kiwi sport, which is a nice idea. It probably makes Tony Rail feel a whole lot better, but um, if that's their efforts with regard to the obesity epidemic, it's pathetic. In fact, campaigners against obesity say the epidemic's been made worse by this national government. It's wiped the program encouraging children to eat more nutritious food at school. It's cut money for the Obesity Action Coalition. And anti-obesity campaigners argue that has a cost for the whole country. It just means that more and more and more of the health dollars are going into treating the effects of obesity. But it's more than that. The psychological effects for people who suffer with obesity are enormous. And the problems that people are beginning to suffer from are impacting on people who would otherwise be in the workforce. So the whole financial well-being of the community is being affected by growing numbers of people suffering with obesity-related morbidity. In the UK, doctors are calling for a war on junk food. Measures the fight the obesity epidemic would like to see enforced here. But I don't think we should be lying down and let the fast food industry and the advertising industries have it absolutely all their way. We're doing nothing to oppose the billions of dollars which are being put in by, uh, by the food industry to promote food that we do not want New Zealanders and we particularly don't want children to be eating. And it's open slather. We're doing nothing to oppose this.
And that's unlikely to change. This government's on record opposing more regulation of the food industry. Associate Health Minister Peter Dunn was not available for an interview, and in a statement said this government's emphasis is on encouraging more people into physical activity and sport. Critics say for a condition that causes diabetes, heart disease, cancer and breathing problems, that's not even beginning to address the problem. And that is because the government has the fast food industry, the advertisers, lobbying hard, lobbying with millions and millions of dollars. Government is not listening to public pressure on this, and they're making a big mistake. Robin Tumouth, ending that report from Richard Langston. Just a little bit of feedback that's already coming in on that story. I love healthy food, Raymond Foster says, but it is very dear to buy for mid-class earners with a family low-class too. Of course, the government is not helping at all. I have no problem with the government adding tax to unhealthy food stores or outlets. Thanks very much indeed, Robin. Thanks all for your feedback. It's flooding. And Some welfare-slash-rights groups overseas have mentioned that vegetarians and vegans tend to be less likely to be overweight that being vegetarian is a great way to lose weight. I do think it's obvious that the types of feed you eat often reflect your own body weight, but I'm sure it's just as easy to eat fatty vegan foods as fatty non-vegan foods. The groups most upset about our obesity epidemic, because being overweight is a disease that can be vaccinated, it's also spread by mosquitoes, right? Americans, let's face it, we've been a spoiled country for a long time. You know what the number one health risk in America is? Obesity. Obesity. They say we're in the middle of an obesity epidemic. An epidemic like it's polio. Like we'll be telling our grandkids about it one day. The great obesity epidemic of 2004. How'd you get through it, Grandpa? Oh, it was horrible, Johnny. There was cheesecake and pork chops everywhere. Nobody knows why we're getting fatter. Look at our lifestyles. I'll sit at a drive-thru. I'll sit there for. I'll sit there behind 15 other cars instead of getting up and making an eight-foot walk to the totally empty counter. Everything's mega meals, super size. Want biggie fries with that? Want a jumbo fry? Want to go large? Want a biggie fry? Want a 30 burgers for a nickel? You fat mother. There's room in the bag. Take it. Want a 55-gallon drum of coke with that? It's only three more cents. These groups have mostly been focusing on taxing, quote, unhealthy foods or asking for taxes to be removed from designated healthy foods. Veganism is not a cure for being overweight or obese. It's silly to promote veganism as a diet, but it does seem to have additional benefits to our own health. And there's always some wacko welfare group that'll spring into action, demanding the government have a meat-free Monday, no tuna Tuesday, or factory farmless Friday, or that feeding children meat is, quote, child abuse, because of course eating other animals makes you fat. There are plenty of non-vegans who are thin or muscular. It's silly to argue otherwise, just as if saying, all smart people are vegetarian or vegan, just because Einstein and Tesla were vegetarian. I, Stephen Hawking, am not vegan, and I'm plenty smart. Another of my hobbies is forging checks from Hawking. His signature is Stevie H, typed in 12 point times New Roman. I promote veganism for ethical reasons. The health angle can change. A crazy new product might come out that fixes any meat problem health-wise. Well, the link between uh, red meat and bowel cancer has long been established, but there's good news for Barbie lovers with the announcement that Australian scientists may have found a way to minimise the risk. Melody Horrell reports. Like many Aussie blokes, Lyndon Andrews loves a Barbie. Probably five or six times a week, uh, for sure. I do like my red meat. But he also knows too much meat isn't good for him. There's uh, a reasonable association between high levels of red meat consumption and bowel cancer risk. But this powder may help. It's resistant starch and when mixed with liquid and consumed twice a day, it may negate the effects of red meat. Resistant starch, when it passes into the bowel, it actually gets broken down by the bacteria there and can produce a variety of compounds that we've actually shown that can help reduce bowel cancer risk. The powder is being trialled at the Flinders Medical Centre, but you can reap its benefits by eating the right food. Resistant starch is also found naturally in cooked potatoes and pasta, but if you want to get the maximum benefit, you should eat them cold actually changes the uh, chemical structure of the starch. So it really means that more of that starch can then move into the large bowel. We all have some bad habits and if this allows us to continue and keep healthy, then it's probably worthwhile. Speaking of a crazy product, I found this really weird website, ilovefarmers.org, with the tagline, they feed my soul. 
No, it's not a PR site for a communion wafer farmer, but a shul site for animal agriculture. I'll read the main part of text. We may be young, but we are not stupid. We love farmers, they feed our soul. Together, we are working to help our generation understand the importance of knowing where our food comes from and who produced it. We're not your typical, who cares, kind of young people from the millennial generation. Sure, we all have cell phones and we text like crazy. We have iPods and spend way too much time on Facebook and MySpace, but we care about our planet. We care about our country. We care about the American family farmer. Few of our friends know how their food is produced. We think that is sad. And really, it is kind of scary. If we are not careful, we will become dependent on other countries to provide our food. That is not good. Who knows what goes on in other countries when it comes to growing our food? We have an idea, and it too is not good. Apparently, the quote, young people who are meant to be writing the site are in their 20s. They talk as if they're in their early teens working on a homework assignment and chatting to their friends about which girls they like. And few of our friends know how their food is produced. We think that is sad. And really, it is kind of scary. Right. So where do we go to learn about our food, kids? Why, a website funded by Animal Agriculture, of course. The general vibe seems to be, buy our stuff because you can't trust those damned foreigners. Some of them even drive on the other side of the road or use the hated metric system. It's interesting. The New Zealand meat industries have the same view of the outside world. They all seem to be xenophobic. We get told horror stories about those damn North Americans. Especially this cataclysmic flood of cheap meat coming from Canada. I suppose by your country's name here is a simple marketing formula worldwide. And this bit is crazy. If we do not make wise choices about where food in America comes from today, we will become dependent on foreign sources of food tomorrow. That scares us. Look what happens when we depend on others for our oil. We fight wars and lose our friends. It really says that. Seriously, it's unreal. Wise choices about where X comes from, dependent on foreign sources of X, scares us and, outright, Look what happens when we depend on others for our oil. We fight wars and lose our friends. You mean, their oil, not your oil. It's in their countries, not yours. Okay, well, the New Zealand sites I've seen have never mentioned invading other countries to sell their precious food supplies. Can you imagine calling your friends fallen heroes when they've been blown apart by an IED, fighting overseas for a can of peaches? California. Make sure you further bankrupt yourself by stocking up on those magnificent F-22s. The glorious New Zealand Air Force is on her way. I think I can hear both Spitfires puttering off now, and they're not coming home without your oranges, mate. I quite enjoy reading pro-animal agriculture sites, especially ones that try to astroturf public opinion by appearing hip and with it. Supposedly designed by a bunch of 20-year-olds whose greatest worry is that they might eat food from another country. Here's an unusual story to see fishermen getting so emotional over an aquatic animal. It's weird. The snapper season is starting to heat up, but a Northland recreational fishing boat hooked much more than it bargained for recently. A dolphin had come up to the boat distressed and exhausted. It had become tangled in a discarded long line. However, the story doesn't end there, with the dolphin seemingly seeking rescue. Emma Keeling with this astonishing story of man and mammal. It was a day unlike any other for skipper Dean Musgrove. I've been on ocean just about most of my life and that was just the best thing I've ever seen with dolphins and um, yeah, I'll never forget it. Musgrove and deckhand Eden Craig were taking a group fishing off the Mokohino Islands just east of Whangarei when a dolphin swam slowly past. It was amazing, eh? It was just... I was up in my flybridge. I saw this dolphin on its side. He was just only a metre from my boat, and he was on it sideways, and I thought, well, he's just looking at us to see who we are. One of the group accidentally hooked the dolphin. They knew something was seriously wrong when it didn't struggle to get away. So this dolphin came in backwards, and then Eden said to me, Dean, this thing is covered in nylon. And I said to Eden, just cut it. Get rid of all that nylon. 
because I, I just I was a bit angry to my bit angry. So obviously at some stage the dolphin struggled and wrapped its nose and created like a banana shape if you like. The dolphin was weak and in obvious distress, wrapped up in an old long line which had cut in around its snout and tail. Craig cut the line away, unsure if it would survive. It took about um, five minutes or so to, to get its balance. It was tipping from side to side. Um, we should have kept in close view of it just to make sure it was going to get its, um, you know, make sure it would see freedom again. And, yeah. and so how were the clients reacting at this stage? It was a pretty quiet moment. And um, they're big boys and um, I don't think I saw a dry eye, including my own. So it was a special time, I suppose. Men regularly see dolphins in the Breen Bay Three Kings area thanks to the healthy population of pilchards. Craig often helps Skipper Musgrove with his two fishing charter boats, and there's seldom a dull moment. <laughs> Stand back and ready. Shot. Yep. Well, I thought that was a highlight of the day. That we were out at the Mokahine house and um, yeah, we saved the dolphin. It made my day. Mm. But it wasn't the end of your dolphin sightings? No, no. What, what happened next was just amazing. Yeah, we would have seen a hundred dolphins um, just follow us, playing in our wake. Usually dolphins will swim up near the front of the boat, but this time they were all leaping, jumping and clacking in the wake. The skipper thought it could mean only one thing. It just blew me away that they're so intelligent to do that sort of stuff and saying thanks to us. This is the only photo Musgrove took of the moment, too shocked and overawed by the sight. So what, are you going to quit the fishing industry and get into dolphin tours now? <laughs> Could be a go, eh? <laughs> well, you've made a few friends. Yeah, I just hope they remember the, our boat. <laughs> mm. Come back and say hi. Yeah, I'd love to see that again. I'll be ready with the camera next. Never mind all the other animals we happily killed, we have to save the single dolphin because it's more intelligent. I also saw a video of a supposed, quote, suicidal Japanese dolphin who leapt from his or her tank, balanced on the edge, and then fell outside during a performance. The dolphin was okay. From the 3 News story, former US dolphin trainer Rick O'Barry said the dolphin was trying to kill itself, likening the mammal's behavior to that of a person who wants to jump out of a building. The habitat is so unnatural it leapt out in desperation, he said. It wanted to end it. Well, I guess that makes sense. Jordan wanted to end Jordan. It's interestingly political. At a time when we're applying pressure on Japan for killing another marine animal, the whale, that would get reports on how upset Japanese animals are kept in captivity. And dolphins, too. Everyone loves dolphins. This would tie in with the cove. I am not a dolphin trainer, but I think to say the dolphin, yes, it, was suicidal, is very odd. Although, a suicidal dolphin does sound like a postmodern song title. Now, we can keep it pimping, or we can get into some gangster stuff. We spend most our time fretting over a dolphin suicide. We spend most our time crying over a dolphin suicide. Tell me why are we so blind to see 56 billion killed land animals We spend most of our time fretting over a dolphin suicide We spend all this time crying over a dolphin suicide I wasn't expecting the instrumental beat to change like that <laughs> I'm having fun doing this live Shout out to MC Peep Peep repping it for Invercargill, New Zealand. That'll be available for 99 cents on iTunes soon. Don't worry. They say I got to learn, but nobody's here to teach me. If they can't understand it, how can they reach me? I guess they can't, I guess they won't, I guess they front. That's why I know my life is out of luck, fool. Hey Corleo, you've still got some luck left. My friends and I can provide some information about veganism. Unlike the non-vegans promoting welfare reform, I've made a convenient link to a list of my podcasting friends. bit.ly slash vegan podcast info.
bit.ly, or as I normally say, bit.ly, is very handy for making custom short links. bit.ly is the full website address. .ly is the country code for uh, Libya. I had to be careful saying that. Remember, I get confused enough with Liberian and Librarian. I have a couple custom links now. I mentioned they are on B uh, bit.ly, let's say. There's slash 56 billion for the direct link to the UN PDF of animals killed in 2007, the new slash vegan podcast info, a link of vegan podcasts, and also slash chicken sacks, S-A-X. I hope you've seen that video. Currently 140 plus people from around the world have seen my little friends playfully arguing over a couple cents worth of bread. I like mentioning the chickens that live in my backyard whenever I talk about veganism, whenever possible. I think by showing videos of how chickens play with each other, we can all see for ourselves that they are individuals and they matter. Unlike a recent advert in my newspaper, chickens are not worth $4.75 each, minimum order of 30, shipped by freight plane from the other end of the South Island. I think nothing of throwing away over $1,000 on a new cell phone with crappy reception, but chicken friends are priceless. Every time a dolphin is hurt or killed, it's a bloody outrage. We have to write letters to Parliament or our congressmen. But most people don't even see the 56 billion land animals killed each year, all around us. Please promote veganism. For more info, try my link to other vegan podcasters. bit.ly slash vegan podcast info. Like Paul McCartney. Well, I certainly don't get high with anyone. I guess the metaphor could be that my friends helped me grow into the 1.95 meter tall person I am today. I've really enjoyed making this little show of mine. I've met so many nice people. Thank you to anyone who has ever emailed me. I've really appreciated your comments. Honestly, I have. I like meeting new people, and I hope you will continue to promote veganism. I'm very sad you had nothing better to do in your lives than listen to an uneducated 22-year-old New Zealander talk on and on about his chicken friends. There are many great veganism-promoting podcasts available now. I was mentioning religion earlier. Jesus Christ is said to have lived until he were 33. I made it to 34 episodes. Unlike the Beatles, I'm not comparing myself favorably to JC. I'm just trying to be light-hearted by wrapping up threads as I end my show. And as always, thank you for listening. I'm gonna make a change for once in my life It's gonna feel real good Gonna make a difference Gonna make it right As I turn up the collar My favorite winter coat This wind is blowing my mind I see the kids in the street With not enough to eat Who am I?
you wanna make the world